Welcome to Stories That Stick, a podcast series about the stories that shape us. And I think sometimes when you're not from the UK, but you're working in these white environments, even just having a different accent, people make an assumption that maybe you're not as intelligent as they are. Hey everyone, it's Ade here, your host for Stories That Stick podcast. Now, first and foremost, just need to apologize for not having a podcast episode out during our scheduled release dates. Truth of the matter is, I just haven't been feeling great. In fact, I am still recovering, but you know, I'm well enough for now. So here I am. That being said, in today's episode, I'm joined over the internet and I'm saying over the internet because unfortunately the audio does go in and out, but I am joined by Okbayemi Sofoluke who's a lead and regional diversity and inclusion program manager for a top four company. And we have her own stories that stick because she co-authored the book Twice as Hard with her partner. Now, what can you expect to hear in the episode? Well, you can expect to hear her career journey so far and specifically why her latest book Twice as Hard is important for all of us. Now, if you're brand new to the podcast, please know that we start all our conversations talking about death because we believe it helps inform how we live. I say all of this to say, if the topic of death does trigger you, then please do skip ahead approximately two minutes or better still, when you hear the page turning sound effect. Last thing, and I promise this is the last thing, Please don't hesitate to get in touch if you'd like to advertise, sponsor or be featured on the show and all our details can be found in the show notes. Now without further ado, I bring to you Okbayemi Sofoluke. Okay, Okbayemi. Hey. I love that name. Oh, thank you. And you say it so well, you say it better than me. Now... Have you heard any of the Stories That Stick episodes? Yeah, I've listened to one. You have? Okay, then it won't come as a surprise, I hope, where the first question we talk about is death. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious to know, what's your thoughts on death in of itself? Like, what do you think of death? Um, I think about it regularly, actually, because I know that it's something that will come eventually. And so when I think about it, I think because of my faith, I try to think about it from a place of hope, knowing that there's, you know, an afterlife. And so for me, I try to think about it from a positive place, you know? Yeah. The fact that you do look at death in a positive light, which is great, and it's very much predicated on your faith. Are you operating life as we speak with the intention of you want to go to heaven or is it more a case that you want to leave a legacy? Because I feel like how and why we find you sitting in front of us is you are leaving things that will outlast you. Yeah. So is that intentional? It's intentional, but I think more so for me, there is that desire to live a life that is purpose-driven. So in many ways, I see that I'm here for an assignment. And so I'm very much focused on, you know, what is my purpose? How can I make an impact? And when that time comes and when I do go, God is proud of me for the way that I've lived. I hear that. So we definitely, definitely will get into that without a shadow of a doubt. And the way we normally start on stories that stick is through 
the chapters in your life and we do it via decades mm-hmm. so let's get into the first chapter which is zero to ten yeah zero to ten Okmayemi. yeah <laughs> little Okmayemi, talk to us <laughs> paint some pictures where did you grow up who were you what was yeah what was going on in your life at the time I grew up the middle child so I've got two sisters um we grew up in South London we had fun times we used to always sing we would dance play and also our parents worked and studied so you know sometimes at childminders but you know typical Nigerian parents as well well speak more on that what does a typical Nigerian parent mean I say that from a more of the education point of view wanting you to work hard so we would go to school but come home have like tea and then we'll have like our exercise books do some work um that kind of working hard point of view I think a lot of people from Nigerian backgrounds can identify with that I hear that out of interest do you recall your primary school days yeah what was that like um primary school was fun I I had good friends and I see some of them every now and again or at least we follow each other on social media but was there any hobbies um, most of my hobbies I probably started to lean into more when I was in secondary school. What I tend to do with all my guests is give them a very brief questionnaire to fill out before coming onto the show. And what that question is, is the fondest story that they read, heard or watched as a child, a teenager or an adult. Yemi, do you know what you wrote for a child? Yeah, I wrote Matilda. Once upon a time, there was a girl named Matilda. As a child, she doesn't fit in. She doesn't fit in with her family. And then she goes to this new school where she finds friends. Two times seven. Or 13 times 379. But then she has this horrible head teacher. But she still overcomes these challenges and she's able to use her superpowers to get rid of the head teacher. What I really loved about the story, watching that as a child, it felt like anything was possible. Mm, I love that. That really, I could, I could see why that resonated with you, especially as a child. Yeah. So yeah, let's talk about you can do anything and wanting to do anything specifically within your next chapter. So shall we? Mm-hmm. Let's go for it. So we are now officially in your next decade, which is 11 to 20. (laughs) I always think about this decade as a huge decade. It doesn't play around because you're entering secondary school. The world is now so much larger than your primary school. You're going through, you know, the education system, which then spits you out to become a full-fledged quote-unquote adult that's meant to allegedly know exactly their path and how they serve society at large. It's a big decade. <laughs> it's a big decade, for real. Okay, yeah, we talk to me. Take it however you want to take it, but, you know, usually start from the beginning. When you entered secondary school, how were you developing as, you know, the fierce, awesome woman that you are today? Oh, thank you. Um, the secondary school was good. I had, it was great, in fact, because when I started, I had a Nigerian form tutor. And so straight away, I almost felt that there was 
someone there who I could relate to and who could relate to me and also someone who had my best interest at heart. And I had a strong group of friends as well. And we remained friends pretty much from year seven to year 11. And so I think year seven, eight, nine, honestly, I don't really remember too much of it. I feel like, you know, those are kind of just those years that you get through, but it really starts to pick up. Yeah, for sure. Because I think towards the end of year nine is what GCSEs and they start telling you, you have to start thinking about career, right? And the subjects that go with the career path you hope to go down. Yeah. Were you thinking about career? I was thinking about career. I remember I must have been in year 10, I think. Um, And in our maths class, we had these two traders come in from a small um, investment bank. I actually don't even remember the name of the bank, but they shared about their experiences and the fact that they work in the city and why maths is is so important um, and the fact that they make a lot of money. And I remember sitting in that class thinking, I'm going to work in that industry. Like when I finish and when I start working, (laughs) that's what I'm going to do. And I still am in touch with my former tutor, the Nigerian teacher till this day. And so I say to him, even today, it's so important to get people from industry in front of students. So I was thinking about careers. I was thinking about what I wanted to do at at that age. I love that. And were you always quite academic? In some ways, I guess I would say yes. I've always wanted to do well. When I was predicted my GCSE grades, my predictions weren't great. Just out of curiosity, do you recall? What were they? (laughs) Oh, (laughs) okay. (laughs) <laughs> I would say they weren't A stars and A's that's how I'll put it so they weren't A stars and A's or even many B's to be honest they weren't great and so one thing I said to myself and that's why I'm one of those people I really do believe there is power in the tongue I said to myself right there are seven days in the week and if I like study hard enough I can get at least seven A stars or A's and so when it came to results time I remember opening the envelope and then seeing five A stars, two A's and three B's. And I said, oh my gosh, like the seven A stars or A's that I said I wanted to get, I got. So I recognised that I'm not the smartest. I'm definitely not, but I'm someone that has to apply myself to get the results I'm looking for. Yeah, I hear you. But it's actually really funny then. So this application, especially the fact that your book is called Twice As Hard, was that a conversation that you ever had with those who were your seniors, your elders? Did they ever utter this rhetoric that one must work twice as hard yeah absolutely and I saw it I saw it from my parents I heard the challenges they faced at work the discrimination they faced at work to you your parents are these people that you know or to me my parents are these people that I look up to and just hearing that some of the conversations or the scenarios or situations that would happen at work and hear that other people don't see them in that way maybe because they have a stronger accent or a different accent to them And I think sometimes when you're not from the UK, but you're working in these white environments, even just having a different accent, people make an assumption that maybe you're not as intelligent as they are. So, yeah, I was very aware of working twice as hard. I hear that. So far the story, we're at your GCSEs, you smashing it. So the next steps would go into college, A-level, then uni. Mm. what were you thinking then were you still on path to become this trader okay college and doing my a-levels was a wake-up call I picked economics maths sociology and politics my as level results were a shock to my system I would say (laughs) 
So um, politics right. and sociology were fine. I got two Bs and I was like, okay, I can improve on that. Economics and maths was challenging. I got two Ds and I'd never seen Ds in my life. And I was like, wow, so this is how it feels. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I'm picking up as well? Oh, wait, yeah, sorry to interject. No, that's okay. The fact that grades matter to you. Mm-hmm. Why do they matter to you? I think because I set a standard for myself. And so I wanted to perform. I wanted to meet that. But it was surprising for me when I came home and I said to my mum and dad, I was like, dad, this is what I got. And he just said, you know, don't worry. You'll just try again. And so I realised that I was putting more pressure on myself. So, yeah. Fair enough. Okay, so you were finding it difficult, but I guess I want to fast forward if I possibly can before we do get into the third chapter and specifically how we find you becoming an author, in truth, because so far I'm not hearing anything to do with literature at all. (laughs) I'm hearing everything to do with finance and money, but (laughs) literature. That's funny. In fact, English was actually my favourite subject. So the two A stars that I got, well, I got five A stars, but the, the two of them were English language and English lit. Yeah, so it's funny that I don't talk about it, but it's it's something that I really enjoyed. Did you used to write then? Like stories and whatnot? Do you still write maybe as well? Okay, so growing up um, as part of like at home when in like zero to ten, our dad would get us to write just essays that like go and write on a, like say on a Saturday before we like go and play and do games he'll say write an essay about your friends or write an essay about school and then with the growth box my company which is a subscription box company I would write like small posts just to like encourage the subscribers like it could be about anything like dealing with stress or hope or prayer or whatever yeah I hear that now, uni usually, especially the tail end, is 20 plus, which would be your third decade, your last chapter. Mm-hmm. But have I overlooked anything regarding this decade? I mean, nah, it's fine. I think you're good. Nah, 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 nah. This is your story. This is your chapter. No, I think you've captured like some, some of the key points. I'll just add to that. That decade is when I've met like some of my, my lifelong friends who have who have been a big part of my journey in many ways. I met Raph in that decade. You know, that's been the, one of the biggest. That's now your husband. Parts. Yeah, yeah. You've yeah. got two beautiful children. Yes, exactly. So I think that piece as well is really important as well. I found a best friend. Going back to what you did submit on the questionnaire that mm. I um, put forward to you, in this decade, during your teenage young adult life, there was a particular film that you watched or made an impact, Coach Carter. Yeah. Okay, give me the overview of that and why yeah, it made an impact in your life during this decade. You know, I loved Coach Carter. And when you look at that story, you see a man who comes into a situation where, like, the school is failing. Good afternoon, young man. The students aren't at their best. They're not performing in a way that they could. But still, in the midst of all that mess, he sees potential. Teachers ain't supposed to touch students. I'm not a teacher. I'm the new basketball coach. And even when he tries to strengthen that potential, when he tries to, like, push his students to their best, others who should be in support of what he's doing are actually trying to block it, but he continues. And again, you start to see the fruits of his hard work. I love those stories where you're like, they've gone through the rough stage and then they turn their life around and they're hopeful and, you know, it's great, right? 
And so I remember watching that and that really resonated with me, like growing up, just seeing like, like somebody come into something that's a bad situation and turn it around. Mm, I hear that. I hear that. That being said, let's talk about purpose. Let's talk about what you believe. Not even what you believe, because you certainly are doing it. And this, I assume, all happens in your next decade, which isn't your final chapter. But for the sake of stories that stick, we normally say 20 plus. So let's get into it, shall we? Let's do it. Okay, okay, Yevi, what uni did you go to? What was your first gig? Yeah. And then we'll go from there. So coming up, I went to Aston University and I studied business and politics. At uni, I was very, very aware of how difficult the job market was. And so as early as my first year, I did an internship at Goldman Sachs. My second year, I did an internship at JP Morgan. And after that internship, I was offered a job. So I went into my final year with that job. Um, and so when I came out of uni started my career at JP Morgan as a trade management analyst and working on the equities and equity derivative group desk. I ain't gonna lie. I think I, like most listeners, will probably be like, huh? What does that mean? Don't worry, not just you, me too, because am I doing that today? No. (laughs) 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 But you got into trade, which is what you always wanted to do, which is great. Yeah. So I started there and it's an experience I will always cherish because it was probably the hardest time in my career because I was just learning a lot and I often felt lost. That real challenge came, you know, of being a minority. Like in uni, even though you were a minority on your course, somehow, somehow the black people always come to find themselves. It's like where yeah, there's yeah. a magnet and it's like, yeah, it's <laughs> right? <laughs> and we find ourselves. But here... um, I was really a minority. And so that is where I really started to learn about navigating white environments. It's where I started to learn about how I came across, how I was perceived, as much as I tried to twang my voice to, you know, be as polished as possible. The South London would always push through. Um, And so It was an interesting time. I think it was a time of growth on so many levels from a personal to a professional, you know, point of view, but also figuring out what I actually wanted to do and what I actually was passionate about. Yeah. And what was that? Because you don't do that now, right? You don't do what you first got into professionally. Yeah. So I'm very passionate about people. I'm passionate about empowering people. I'm passionate about fairness. And so outside of my day to day, I was involved in what we call business resource groups. So the black community, the women's community and so on and so forth. And then an opportunity came up in the technology for social good, diversity and inclusion team. And so I applied and I had the interviews and I was successful. And then that's where my journey into like social good and DNI eventually began. Nice. Amazing. And please give us the accolades. You are now officially... What is your title as we speak? Lead Regional Diversity and Inclusion Programme Manager um, across international, so covering (laughs) APAC, EMEA and and Latin America. Mm, Accolades, accolades. That's how you keep the Jaguar in the garage, yeah? And the mansion lights on. No, no, no. I'm very simple. (laughs) (laughs) My friends will tell you I'm very simple. (laughs) Love it. I absolutely love it. And so... (laughs) 
we now know where you are and what you do as your nine to five. Yeah. But in and amongst that, like many Londoners and millennials, I'd say, you kind of have side hustles and you do multiple things. You have multiple revenue streams. One of them, and we've mentioned it already within this podcast, is the growth box. And another, which is very recent as of June um, 2021, is becoming an author that curates the stories of black professionals who are trying to navigate the white corporate world. Mm -hmm. And I say that because this book to me, and I don't mean it with any disrespect, is only relevant within the context of, I think anyway, white corporate settings. Yeah, in some ways, but I think there are definitely lessons and advice that would be applicable to any professional. Drop those gems. Yeah, so for, for us, when, when we started writing this book... Um, How did it come about? How did it come about? So um, Raf had an idea for a book um, and he, you know, connected with his agent and shared it. Um, and his agent said, you know, it's a good idea, but I think think about it more. And, and he shared it with me and I gave similar feedback. So we were just talking about ideas and sharing experiences. And in that conversation, you know, a phrase that a lot of us say and a lot of us are aware of, you know, it's just twice as hard, man, like we were talking about what it's like working. And, you know, as a black woman, you have a different perspective. As a black man, of course, he has a different perspective. And that's basically how we said, okay, let's go into this journey together. So we put together kind of a proposal and wrote a few words as well and shared that with his agent and and this, and, this, and it went from there. Mm. Since you're doing a lot of press runs, I'm sure you've been asked several questions. Yeah. What should we know? What are the Easter eggs within these? That it's like, you know, what if you do pick it up, then this is the value within it. Yeah. I think for me, what I'd say is it's the kind of book that if you wanted to, you don't have to read it end to end. Of course, we would recommend that. But there are chapters that you can just open up um, depending on what you're facing and what you're going through in life. It's like, for me, the book is a toolkit. So we have different chapters like mentorship or personal branding or mental health or growth. So in as much as the stories cover to cover are so informative and inspirational, but also, you know, you get that kind of real life experience from someone who's just like you in many ways. Um, you can also jump around, I would say. Um, and for me, I would say it's for it is for anyone. Like, like I know you referenced like being in a white environment, but also being in a black environment. And then of course, as a non-black person, there's a lot to learn. Um, and so yeah. Those are some of the key things. But it's I would say personally, it's a great read with great stories. I'm not being biased. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of impact, which kind of lends us to the last submission that you put on the questionnaire, a convo with your grandma. Yeah. Walk us through that. What was said? What happened? Yeah, yeah. So she was around in London and I just remember her telling stories about what it was like studying in the UK and just facing racism. And I remember her telling, you know, a specific story of having a teacher in like a cooking class where she gave her, my grandma, an assignment. It was to cook this specific bird. This is the bird you need to find and cook for the class. And it was for an exam. And she said she went everywhere. I remember her telling the story that I think she was like, she was in Clapham South and then she took the train and she got, you know, a travel card. But she told me she went all over London looking for this bird. 
and then she goes back to her class and she says to her teacher you know i'm i'm really sorry i've tried so hard i've looked everywhere but i could not find this this type of bird and of course back then we didn't have google and the teacher says yes i know you can find the bird she's like okay sorry she said, i made it up i made it up and and that was it and so she wasn't able to be examined for that particular exam because she didn't have the birds to cook or whatever it was and so it just helps me to see that you just have to keep working hard you know it's about how can we be smart with it how can we use resources or books even like twice as hard to navigate these environments where people may oppress or where people don't necessarily want the best for you or where people may favor others before you and so yeah I I found like her stories inspirational Mm, she sounds amazing and such a powerful woman too grandmas are the best aren't they yes they are (laughs) (laughs) okay Emmy I'm gonna conclude and the way I normally finish all my episodes, well, most of my guests anyway, is if you can gift one book to your loved ones and not your own book, obviously, mm-hmm. what book would it be and why? I would probably say Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. Purpose Driven Life, did you say? Yeah, the way it's written, it's a 40-day book. Um, but it's just about exploring your purpose. You know, what am I here for? Um, and it, it's a reminder that you're important, that you have so much to offer. But it also encourages you to go on that discovery of what could that be? Um, and I think that's something I would recommend. No, amazing. That sounds amazing. So do you want to be found online? And if yes, how can we find you online? Yeah, so if you want to find me online, um, you can find me at at opiemi.sofaluke on Instagram and then opiemi.sofaluke on Twitter. Amazing. Well, guys, as always, I will put everything that has been discussed in the show notes. And we are also trying to be better, better, better. So your feedback is invaluable. But once again, take care and stay tuned for another episode. Awesome. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Ade. It's been great. If you enjoyed today's episode, please do share it. And if you'd like to be featured on the podcast, please do get in touch.